Section 2 of The Sunny Side. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by James Puzo. The Sunny Side by A. A. Milne. A Poetry Recital. It has always been the privilege of art to be patronized by wealth and rank. Indeed, if we literary and artistic strugglers were not asked out to afternoon tea sometimes by our millionaire acquaintances, it is doubtful if we should be able to continue the struggle. Recently, a new and less expensive method of entertaining genius has become fashionable in the best circles and the aspiring poet is now invited to the house of the great, not for the purpose of partaking of bodily refreshment himself, but in order that he may afford spiritual refreshment to others. In short, he is given an opportunity of reciting his own works in front of the fair, the rich, and the highly born, and making what he can out of it in the way of advertisement. Let us imagine that we have been lucky enough to secure an invitation to one of Lady Paul Doodle's poetry at homes, at her charming little house in Berkeley Square. The guests are all waiting, their eyes fixed in eager anticipation on the black-covered throne at the farther end of the room, whereon each poet will sit to declaim his masterpiece, when suddenly Lord Paul Doodle is observed to be making his way cautiously towards a side door. Fortunately, he is stopped in time, and dragged back to his seat next to the throne, from which he rises a moment later to open the proceeding. "'Ladies and gentlemen,' he says, "'we are met here this afternoon in order to listen to some of our younger poets who will recite from their own works. So far I have always managed to avoid—so <clears throat> far— I have been unavoidably prevented from attending on these occasions, but I understand that the procedure is as follows. Each poet will recite a short sample of his poetry, after which, no doubt, you will go home and order from your bookseller a complete set of his works. Lady Paul Doodle goes quickly over to him and whispers vigorously, I find I am wrong says our host. Full sets of the author's works can be obtained on the way out. There is, however, no compulsion in the matter, and if you take my advice, well, well, let us get on. Our first poet, here he puts on his glasses and reads from a paper on the table in front of him, is Mr. Sidney Warpole, of whom you, er, uh, have, er, uh, doubtless all heard. At any rate, you will hear him now. Mr. Sidney Warple, tall and thin, wearing the sort of tie which makes you think you must have seen him before, steps forward amidst applause. He falls back into the throne as if deep in thought, and passes a hand across his hair. Mr. Warple, very suddenly, Don at Surbiton! Where? says a frightened voice at the back. Shh! says Lady Paul Doodle in a whisper. Surbiton! 
Surbiton is passed round the back seats. Not that it is going to matter in the least. Mr. Warple repeats the title and then recites, in an intense voice, these lines. Out of the nethermost bonds of night, out of the gloom where the bat's wings brush me, free from the crepitous doubts which crush me, forth I fare to the cool sunlight. Forth to a world where the wind sweeps clean, where the smooth-limbed ash to the blue stands bare, and the gossamer spreads her opaled ware, and Jones is catching the 815. After several more verses like this, he bows and retires. Lady Pauldoodle, still mechanically clapping, says to her neighbour, How beautiful! Dawn at Surbiton, such a beautiful idea, I think. Wasn't it sublime? answers the neighbour. The wonderful contrast between the great pageant of nature and poor Mr. Jones catching, always catching the 8.15. But Lord Pauldoodle is rising again. Our next poet, he says, is Miss Miranda Herrick, whose work is so distinguished for its, er, uh, its, er, uh, distinction. Miss Herrick, dressed in pale green and wearing pince-nez, flutters in girlishly. She gives a nervous little giggle, pushes out her foot, withdraws it, and begins. When I take my bath in the morning, the audience wakes up with a start. When you take your what? says Lord Pauldoodle. Miss Herrick begins again, starting this time with the title. Life. When I take my bath in the morning, when I strip for the cool delight, and the housemaid brings me towels and things, do I wreck of the coming night? A materially-minded man whispers to his neighbor that he always wonders what's for breakfast. Shh, she says, for there's another verse to come. When my hair comes down in the evening, and my tired clothes swoon to the ground, do I bother my head as I leap in bed of the truth which the dawn brings round? In the uncomfortable pause which follows, a voice is heard saying, Does she? And Lady Pauldoodle asks kindly, Is that all, dear? What more could there be? says Miss Herrick with a sigh. What more is there to say? It is life. Life? How true, says the hostess. But won't you give us something else? That one ended so very suddenly. After much inward and outward wrestling, Miss Herrick announces, A thought. The music falls across the vale, from nightingale to nightingale. The owl within the ivy tree makes love to me, makes love to me. But all the tadpoles in the pond are dumb, however fond. I begin to think that there is something in a tadpole after all, murmurs Lord Pauldoodle to himself, as the author wriggles her way out. After all, says one guest to another, why shouldn't a tadpole make love as much as anybody else? I think, says her neighbor, that the idea is of youth trying vainly to express itself. Or am I thinking of caterpillars? Lord Pauldoodle, 
What is a tadpole exactly? A tadpole, he answers decisively, is an extremely immature, wriggling creature, which is, quite rightly, dumb. Now steps forward Mr. Horatio Bullfinch, full of simple enthusiasm, one of the London school. He gives us his famous poem, Berkeley Square. The men who come from the North Country are tall and fair. The men who come from the South Country have hardly any hair. But the only men in the world for me are the men of Berkeley Square. The sun may shine at Colchester, the rain may rain at Penge. From low-hung skies the dawn may rise broodingly on Stonehenge. Knee-deep in clover the lambs at Dover nibble a while and stare. But there's only one place in the world for me. Berkeley, Berkeley Square, and so on, down to that magnificent last verse. The skylark triumphs from the blue, and the barley fields at loo. The blackbird whistles loud and clear upon the hills at Windermere. But oh, I simply love the way our organ grinder plays all day. Lord Pauldoodle rises to introduce Mr. Montague Mott. Mr. Mott, he says is, I am told, a leading exponent of what is called Vers Libre, which means, well, you will see what it means directly. Mr. Mott, a very ugly little man, who tries to give you the impression that he is being ugly on purpose, and could easily be beautiful if he were not above all that sort of thing, announces the title of his masterpiece. It is called... Why is the fat woman's face so red? Well, what else could you call it? Why is the fat woman's face so red? Is it because her stays are too tight? Or because she wants to sneeze and has lost her pocket handkerchief? Or only because her second son, the engineer, is dying of cancer? I cannot be certain. Yet I sit here and ask myself, wonderingly, why is the fat woman's face so red? It is generally recognized that in Mr. Mott we have a real poet. There are loud cries of, Encore! Mr. Mott shakes his head. I have written no more, he says in a deep voice. I have given you the result of three years' work. Perhaps in another three years, he shrugs his shoulders and walks gloomingly out. Oh, such a sweet idea, says Lady Pauldoodle. I sit here and ask myself wonderingly, oh, how true, how very true. I couldn't quite follow it, dear, says her neighbor frankly. Did he marry her, after all? Lord Pauldoodle, looking slightly more cheerful, gets once more onto his legs. You will all be glad to hear, ah. Uh, you will all be sorry to hear that we have only one more poet on our list this afternoon. Mr. Cecil Willow, the well-known, er, poet. Mr. Willow, a well-dressed young man, fair and rather stout, and a credit to any drawing-room, announces the subject of his poem. Liberty. Liberty! What crimes have committed in thy name? murmurs Lord Poldoodle to himself. Liberty. There were two thrushes in a tree, 
the one was tamed the other free because his wings were clipped so small the tame one did not fly at all but sang to heaven all the day the other shortly after flew away there were two women in a town the one was blonde the other brown the brown one pleased a viscount's son not richard but the other one he gave her a delightful flat the blonde one loved a man called alfred spratt there were two kings on thrones of gold the one was young the other old the young one's laws were wisely made till someone took a hand grenade and threw it shouting down with kings the old one laid foundation stones and things how delightful says everybody how very delightful thank you lady Pauldoodle, for such a delightful afternoon end of a poetry recital recording by james puzo plymouth minnesota on april twenty eighth two thousand twelve